0: Good morning, you guys. I'm so glad I was not in the bathroom. That would have been, uh, would have been weird, but uh, that's awesome. Um, man, Jack, where's Jack? Thank you for that prayer. That is a great prayer um, for any Sunday morning. And so, um, yeah, I invite all of us into that, just God speaking to us uh, through his word this morning as we're going to be continuing in Acts. We're going to be in chapter 9 verses 19 through 31. So I'll invite you, um, if you brought your Bible, open that up. Uh, otherwise, you can follow along on the Version app. Just click the More tab, choose Events, and choose Genesis Church. And let's get into it. Um, Acts chapter 9, verse 19. So Saul stayed with the believers in Damascus for a few days. And immediately, underline immediately, he began preaching about Jesus in the synagogue, saying, he is indeed the Son of God. So this is what Ryan was talking about a few weeks ago. When we collide with Jesus, we'll be launched into this new path towards building up God's kingdom. Saul has this collision on the road to Damascus, and immediately he starts preaching. He doesn't need to go to seminary. He doesn't need to consult with any person because he has heard directly from God. And he's sharing it. The simple truth that Jesus is God. He paid it all on the cross. So repent, turn from yourself and believe and that will change your life. So all who heard him, we're amazed. Isn't this the same man who caused such devastation among Jesus' followers in Jerusalem? They asked. And didn't he come here to arrest them and take them in chains to the leading priests? Yep. That's exactly what Saul came to do. We read that in chapter 9, verse 1. The whole reason Saul was going to Damascus was to arrest Christians. So Saul's preaching became more and more powerful. And the Jews in Damascus couldn't refute his proofs that Jesus was indeed the Messiah. They couldn't refute it because it was the truth. You know, we get so afraid to share the gospel with people. Like they're going to say, no, you're wrong. But it's the truth. And anyone who says it's not the truth, they're either lying or they're deceived. Because you can't refute the truth. So have confidence when sharing God's word. It is the truth. After a while, some of the Jews plotted together to kill him. They were watching for him day and night at the city gate so they could murder him. But Saul was told about their plot. So during the night, some of the other believers lowered him in a large basket through an opening in the city wall. Saul has got to be afraid here. Um, I want to bring you into this a little bit of like the reality of the situation that Saul is in. I think of a story from high school. uh, Of my freshman year. And so at my high school... There were tennis courts behind the building and if you were called out, tennis courts after school, you knew what that meant. As a guy, you knew what that meant. You were called out to fight. And so it's my freshman year, I'm talking to a girl and I hear, after school, tennis courts, you're dead. I'm like, I don't want to be dead. I'm just talking to a girl. But it turns out, the pretty girl had a boyfriend. And he was angry. They're always angry. And so I hear tennis courts after school. You're dead. And of course, this is before school even started, so I have the whole day (laughs) to ruminate on me being killed. And so you have the whole scenario. His buddies plotting throughout the day. Hey, we're going to cover the front door. You're not getting out there. We're going to cover the side doors. We're not going to make sure you can't talk to teachers. I have my friends going, "We got to get you out of here." Right? They're plotting. They're like, "You got to fake a heart attack. You got to do something. You got to get out of here." And so this is the reality. It's scary. This is a scary situation, and Saul is human. So, there's no doubt here. He's scared. I mean, he gets in the basket. And he gets out of there. And when Saul arrived in Jerusalem, he tried to meet with the believers, but they were all afraid of him. They did not believe he had truly become a believer. Here Saul is suffering the consequences of his sins. He's known for murdering Christians and having them arrested by any means necessary. So they are naturally afraid of him and and don't believe him. But these are believers, the church, right? Aren't they known for their forgiveness? Yeah. That's why I have no doubt that they forgave Saul, but they're dealing with what we have to deal with in today's world too. The reality of they can't trust Saul. You see, forgiveness and trust are are two different things. So Saul is suffering this long journey of becoming better known for his repentance than his sin. And he gets there, but it's going to be a long and painful road. This is why God calls us as believers to be above reproach. That means to have integrity, to be honest and trustworthy. We are to have integrity so people trust us and are going to listen to us because trust is essential in sharing the most important message on this earth, the gospel. Then Barnabas brought him to the apostles and told them how Saul had seen the Lord on the way to Damascus and how the Lord had spoken to Saul. He also told them that Saul had preached boldly in the name of Jesus in Damascus. Oh, Barnabas, where would Saul be without Barnabas? You know, when we talk about discipleship, we say everyone needs a Barnabas in their life. You need a Barnabas to mentor you and to bring you to the right people at the right time. You need a Barnabas to vouch for you because he's in your life. He can share with others the changes in your life. A Barnabas gives you clout, someone who is pouring into you and who is fighting with you and for you. So Saul stayed with the apostles and went all around Jerusalem with them, preaching boldly in the name of the Lord. He debated with some Greek-speaking Jews, but they tried to murder him. When the believers heard about this, they took him down to Caesarea and sent him away to Tarsus, his hometown. There goes Saul again, preaching boldly. And what happens? Well, people are hearing the good news and coming to Christ, but also... Other people want to murder him again. And by the way, uh, Luke here is uh, writing the book of Acts. He's giving us the cliff notes of Saul's life here. Um, And so we read this like bam, bam, bam. Like it's all just happening um, all at once. But that's why in in studying the Bible, you really need supporting verses and parallel verses. Because I want to share with you one here. Uh, It's Galatians 1, verses 15 through 18. Um, And this is straight from the horse's mouth. This is Saul talking about um, this situation where he says, uh, But even before I was born, God chose me and called me by his marvelous grace. Then it pleased him to reveal his son to me so that I would proclaim the good news about Jesus to the Gentiles. So this is Saul marking his encounter with Jesus on the road to Damascus. When this happened, he said, I did not rush out to consult with any human beings. We talked about that because he didn't have to. He had this directly from God. Nor did I go up to Jerusalem to consult with those who were apostles, teachers, before I was. Instead, I went away to Arabia, and later I returned to the city of Damascus. Then, three years later, I went to Jerusalem. Jerusalem. To get to know peter an apostle and stayed with him for 15 days so years are going by here in just these few short verses saul is suffering the pain of patience and perseverance because not only was it three years before saul meets with the apostles in Jerusalem here, but it will be many more years before his ministry really takes off. The sharing of the truths of Jesus is immediate, but the ministry takes time. Verse 31 says, The church then had peace throughout Judea, Galilee, and Samaria, and it became stronger as the believers lived in the fear of the Lord. And with the encouragement of the Holy Spirit, it also grew in numbers. The church had peace, strength, encouragement, and grew in numbers. Well, that's all good stuff. And what is at the center of that? They lived in fear of the Lord. This passage has fear all over it. The church is fearing Saul because of his reputation. Saul is fearing the church because they're not trusting or accept, accepting him quite yet, and that's frustrating. The Jews are fearing Saul because of his bold preaching, because it's contrary to their beliefs their beliefs and their preaching. The Jews are fearing um, Saul. Saul is fearing the Jews because they're trying to kill him, and that hurts him even more because these are people who used to be his friends and allies. And the church had peace, strength, encouragement, and grew in numbers because they lived in fear of the Lord. So how can fear do all this? How can fear cause Saul to preach more boldly but cause the Jews to want to kill him? How can fear cause the church to thrive? Because you submit to what you fear. Fear gets your attention. And because of that, fear can bring you closer to something or further away, depending on what your attention is focused on. So what is the definition of fear in the Bible? Because we're all called to fear to live in fear of the Lord. But First John chapter 4, verse 18 says, "Perfect love expels all fear." If we are afraid, it is for fear of punishment. And this shows that we have not fully experienced his, God's, perfect love. This is true, but it's also true that we are to live in fear of the Lord. So how do we reconcile these two truths? Well, fear means to simply fear, to be cautious of something or someone, because it most likely can be dangerous, cause pain, or be a threat to us. And God is all of those things, so we should fear him. I mean, Matthew chapter 10, verse 28 says, Don't be afraid of those who want to kill your body, people. They can't touch your soul. Fear only God, who can destroy both soul and body, in hell, God is a danger and a threat to our lives of sin. So I don't think it's a matter of fearing God, but what that fear makes us do. Because when you are humbled by a fear, a byproduct of that can be to focus on, to pay attention to, to be in awe of, and to show reverence. Which means to have deep respect and honor for someone or something. This is Psalm 111, verse 10, working. Fear of the Lord is the foundation of true wisdom. All who obey his commandments will grow in wisdom. The byproduct of fearing God can lead you to know God and have wisdom. To know that God, in fact, loves you. So much that he suffers, dies on a cross, so that you may live in relationship with him, in freedom, and know that you are destined to inherit everything in eternity. That gives you hope. But another, another byproduct of fear that comes out of stubbornness and rebellion is to be afraid of something to the point you run away, or fight it. That is a fear that brings no hope, so you have to cope. Example, you were just told the news you never wanted to hear, never thought you would hear. You're full of fear, so what do you do? Where do you find hope? What do you run to? Do you run to drugs, alcohol, food, TV? Social media, busyness, distractions to cope, which is only temporary. That's why all those things can become addictions because you have to keep doing them more and more for relief because you have no lasting hope. That hope only comes from God through Jesus. You will submit to what you fear. So, fear can work in two different ways. This is explained in Isaiah chapter 8, verses 12 through 14, that say, Don't call everything a conspiracy like they do, and don't live in dread of what frightens them. Make the Lord of heaven's armies holy, that I means set apart, in your life. He is the one you should fear. He is the one who should make you tremble, he will keep you safe. But to Israel and Judah, he will be a stone that makes people stumble, a rock that makes them fall. And for the people of Jerusalem, he will be a trap and a snare. Fearing the Lord can keep you focused on him, giving you the hope because it makes God your sanctuary. He keeps you safe. This is what a humble person experiences in fearing the Lord. But fear can also keep you focused on you. And this gives you no hope or safety, no sanctuary. So you go into fight or flight mode, and neither is good. It's either anger, fight, or avoidance flight. Fear becomes a stumbling block, making you fall because of the stubbornness and rebellion. We see this going on here in Acts. Saul lived in fear of the Lord, and it caused him to lose his life and gain a life in relationship with God through Jesus. This was immediate and a work in progress. Saul's life consisted of pleasing God through killing and arresting Christians. He didn't know God because that didn't please God. But Saul met God on the road to Damascus and this changed everything. He was humbled and immediately dies to his old life beliefs and fears that he was submitted to and he repents, turns, living in fear of the Lord, submitting to him instead. And that caused him to preach boldly Because it eliminated all other fears because his ultimate, his focus was on Jesus, not all the things happening around him. Do you see how living in fear of the Lord made Saul live fearlessly? Living in fear of the Lord will make you fearless. But this Made the Jews who heard Saul's preaching on Jesus fear Saul, not Jesus, because they were stubborn and focused on themselves. So rather than running to Jesus, they ran to anger out of their fear because Saul's preaching threatened their beliefs and very way of life. The byproduct of that fear was death and destruction. They wanted to kill Saul. And the church lived in fear of the Lord and it brought peace, strength, encouragement, and growth. But this fear that caused the church to focus on God also caused them to fear Saul. So what's that all about? Well, here, this is a righteous fear coming out of fearing the Lord because God is special. He is set apart, holy, and he is above all else. And so... In his church, because it's sacred, it's attached to God, the church is being protective here. They just can't let anyone in because it can't destroy the church. And here in front of them is Saul, who is known for wanting to destroy the church. So they're being cautious. You see, all are welcome in God's church. I mean, look at Saul. He's a murderer of Christians, and yet he goes on to become one of the greatest Christians. But actually, because anyone is welcome, we are to be on alert and keep on watch for wolves in sheep's clothing that are trying to get into the church to destroy it. This is where... Testing someone's faith is required, especially in leadership in the church. This is 1 Timothy 3.10. Let them be closely examined. If they pass the test, then let them serve. All kinds of good will flow into the life of the person who fears the Lord. We already heard how the church had peace, strength, and encouragement from living in fear of the Lord and fearing the Lord gives you wisdom, but fearing the Lord can also keep you from sin. Exodus 20:20 20, 20 says, "Don't be afraid, for God has come in this way to test you, and so that your fear of him will keep you from sinning. And fearing the Lord will shelter you in the storms, in the pains of life." Psalm says, All of you who fear the Lord, trust the Lord. He is your helper and your shield. And all of this is what we need and is the only way Saul was able to press on during people hating him, talking bad about him, and trying to kill him. How many of us stop talking about Jesus as soon as someone's put off by it? or we're afraid they're not going to like us anymore? What would you do if someone hated you for it and wanted to kill you for it? And that's not even all Saul had to endure in his life. In 2 Corinthians, he talks about how he's been put in prison beyond count, whipped times without number. Faced death again and again. Five different times the Jewish leaders gave him 39 lashings. I get one lashing one time. I'm done. How can Paul persevere? How can he get through all of this? So he was beaten with rods. He was stoned. We talked about that with Stephen. That's a death sentence. And yet, he's traveled on these journeys. Faced dangers from rivers and robbers. He's going through all of these pains, and he says, Besides all of this, I have the daily burden of my concern for all the churches. You know, you don't have to go through all Saul did to have fear and suffering in your life. One of the truest statements is if you fear suffering, then you already are suffering from fear. We all suffer from fear because we don't want to suffer. But only fear in God can eliminate all of those other fears to bring you into this peace that only comes from the love and truths of God. Exodus 14, verses 13 and 14 say, And Moses told the people, Don't be afraid. Just stand still and watch the Lord rescue you today. The Egyptians you see today will never be seen again. The Lord himself will fight for you. Just stay calm. Stand still, stay calm. This makes me think of how hard that is in our culture today. With all the distractions we have, I mean, I talk to people and they tell me they can't even concentrate on one thing. They can't even focus enough to read their Bibles because so much is just going on in their head. And I get this. I have these moments too. There are just so many distractions, so much information available to us that it prohibits us from standing still with the Lord, fearing Him alone, living in awe of Him focused on him, I want to encourage you this morning to break through the fog of the distractions and fears that are keeping you from God. And living in fear of the Lord is pretty important because as we're about to have child dedications, Deuteronomy, in Deuteronomy, Moses says, Never forget the day when you stood before the Lord your god at mount sinai where he told me summon the people before me and i will personally instruct them then they will learn to fear me as long as they live and they will teach their children to fear me also so what happened on mount sinai in exodus well you know i'll give i'll give you the cliff notes right god frees his people he parts the red sea right and then he leads them to the foot of Mount Sinai in the desert where he, he wants to make a covenant with them, this agreement. And if they obey the terms of the covenant, he, will, he says they'll be transformed by that and they will be a kingdom of priests to all the nations, the whole world. This means they would be God's representatives that show the world God's true character, who he really is to a world who may think they know God, but they have no idea. So Israel agrees, and God reveals himself on the top of Mount Sinai. And how does he do this? He could do this in any way, but he chooses to come as a cloud. But it's a cloud filled with lightning and thunder and smoke and fire. And this is how it goes down in in Exodus chapter 20. Verses 18 and 20, when the people heard the thunder and the loud blast of the ram's horn and when they saw the flashes of lightning and smoke billowing from the mountain, they stood at a distance, trembling with fear. And then Moses said to them, and they said to Moses, you speak to us and we will listen, but do not let God speak directly to us or we will die. They feared God because of their own limited understanding of God. They were afraid of God because they didn't know God. They were relying on their own thoughts of God. But Moses did know God, and he says, do not be afraid, for God has come in this way to test you and so that the, your fear of him will keep you from sinning. Moses is saying this out of having a relationship With God, knowing God and his character, which God told Moses himself on that mountain. In Exodus 34, he says, This is God. I am Yahweh, the Lord, the God of compassion and mercy. I am slow to anger and filled with unfailing love and faithfulness. I lavish unfailing love to a thousand generations. I forgive iniquity, rebellion, and sin, but I do not excuse the guilty. Fearing God brings you into knowing God and his great love for you that was exampled by Jesus on the cross. Lastly, the church grew in numbers. One reason For that is fearing the Lord will motivate you to evangelism. 2 Corinthians 5.11 says, Because we understand our fearful responsibility to the Lord, we work hard to persuade others. And I think of another reason in this community of people, the church, why they were able to grow in fear of the Lord. I mean, they had peace, strength, and encouragement. And they were able to, repl- were able to reflect that to the people around them because that's what they had. And who doesn't want to be part of a community that has this among them? And I think of this in Exodus when, when God gives his people the Ten Commandments, this covenant, this agreement, and then Moses goes back up and he, God gives him these, these detailed blueprints. See, God always shows us the way. He shows us how to do it for the altar and the tabernacle to house his very presence. And then they build it. In the end of Exodus, Moses goes to walk into the tabernacle to be with God. And he can't enter it. It's too bright. It feels too good. It smells too good. It's just too much. And he can't enter it because he's unclean. And God is the perfection of clean. And these two things can't coexist. The same as day and night cannot coexist. Yet, through Jesus, we are cleansed once and for all. Jesus paid it all that we now not only can walk into the presence of God, we contain the presence of of God. We are arks holding vessels, holding the very presence of God. And as, as we gather here in a room on Sunday, this is the tabernacle. And God's presence is in this room. And as we're a community, the church, And we know that. We have reverence for that because we fear the Lord. So we are in awe by that. We can be in awe of the person next to us because they are the vessels containing God, this God that you can't even comprehend, that you are in awe of. And in amazement, the creator of everything, as we do this, we will be a community like no other, and we will be a community that I can't think of a person who would not want to be part of. Let's pray. Holy Father, I just thank you so much for this day, Lord, a day we have to focus on you, to be an Awe of you, Lord, and in awe of your love for us, the peace that comes out of that, Lord. Give us the strength to live in that every day, to seek first you and your kingdom, and to know everything else is going to be okay. Because everything else really doesn't matter in light of you and your promises and your faithfulness in keeping those promises, Lord. Let us bask in that this morning. Let us be that to each other in a community and reflect that to the community around us. You are so good. We praise you forever and ever. In Jesus' great name, amen.